It has often been said that the most productive conversations in affiliate marketing happen in the pub. Whether that's an ad hoc after work pint, an informal coffee away from the PI Live show floor, or that late evening bar chat in the Cosmo Chandelier Bar, followed by a secret pizza of course. It's the chance to take a step back from the formal, a break from the routine, where the ideas can flow as freely as the beers. We've had a few conversations recently with some friends in the industry and we've picked out some of the best affiliate pub takeaways to share with you. In today's chat, Steve Brown and Mark Smith are in conversation with industry veteran and PMA board member Jim Nichols about the mad men times in advertising, his digital past and his affiliate journey and they tackle some of the thornier issues facing the affiliate industry today. We join them in a well-earned break away from Affiliate Summit. Welcome, Jim, and thank you for agreeing to share your views with us. Thank you so much. I would love to be a part of this. You've obviously been in the industry for a long time. Many thousands of Many years. Many thousands of years. <laughs> that makes me feel worse for what I'm about to say. Before those many thousands of years, you also presumably had another career. You know, I feel like I've had nine careers in my life. Yeah. Lead us through at least one of them then. Sure. So I started actually in traditional advertising, working for a company that on my first day was acquired and became part of Omnicom. So I've been okay. part of the agency consolidation thing, I guess is probably. From your first day at work? First day at work. So Omnicom, okay. Yeah, so I worked at a company called Needham, Harper & Steers, which was this very sweet apple pie Midwestern agency based in Chicago, and it was merged with DDB, which is probably was one of the edgiest New York kind of agencies. So the two coming together was also an interesting experience because the cultures were so different. So that's quite an interesting start to a career. Advertising, which obviously has strong personalities in it, lots of ideas flying around, and then you've got conflicting ideas flying around with bosses who want a profit to result because there's been an acquisition. And what was your role there? Oh, I was, I don't know, I was a wiggly worm in the organization. I worked in account management as an assistant account executive for the organization. I worked on what you guys call FMCG, so CPG products, laundry soap, cereal, something called shelf-stable meat extenders, which is probably only an American Shelf-stable meat extenders? It's called Hamburger Helper, and so it's for people who have less than average income in the U.S., and it's a way to take a pound of hamburger and feed five people. Okay. So it's meat, extends meat. So... Well, sausages are 60% pork, let's say, and 40% bread. And <laughs> we said it was wholesome. <laughs> it's like the Don Draper of, of, of affiliate advertising <laughs> sitting next to me. I never worked what, on cigarettes. And it's wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, well said, Don. nutritious, there's a claim you need, you know, nutrition. Wholesome mm -hmm. is one of those magical words that people love the thought of, and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. So talk about Don Draper. So on one of my first trips to New York for Affiliate Summit, I don't know if I'm going to guess, 2006 or something, I had to get up early because I was a Brit on the wrong time zone, and I went for a walk down Madison Avenue just to see what Madison Avenue was all about. I got accosted by a, a film crew saying, what do you think about Mad Men? And I sort of said, well, I've never watched it. And they couldn't believe that someone on Madison Avenue had never watched Mad Men. Have you watched it now? No. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> 17 years later. 
still don't know what we're talking about. I expect Jim's a huge fan of Mad Men. You know, I watched a little bit of it, but it was kind of too close to home for me. I worked in advertising at the time, and I was like, I don't need to bring to work. What, what I found weird about it was they used real agencies and real names and, and real advertising campaigns. Yes, and it was, it was, was Right, well, the, the end one, Coca-Cola, right? There was a mm-hmm. real, real advert that they put out, and they applied it to Don having his existential crises solved by yoga. So if you ever feel it's going really wrong, that's what you do. And it, it, it was very close to home, but actually I, was, I became quite obsessed because a lot of what was happening in creative and advertising around the time was still very, it, it was still poignant, I suppose, and you could recognize and reference a lot of this stuff. Um, being from the industry, I'm surprised you weren't a bigger fan, and you are now to me the Don Draper of the advertising affiliate world anyway, so I, I it's over. No, it's definitely a compliment. Don's my hero. Now, now Jim's my hero. It's great. You know, in a way, I wish there was more of the madman spirit in advertising now, especially in digital, because I don't feel like a lot of digital marketing has an idea behind it. The thing that was great about Don Draper was there was an idea mm-hmm. in these ads, and whether it was, you know, think small for Volkswagen in a time when Americans wanted 29-foot Cadillacs and so forth, there was an idea behind everything, and now I often feel like it's 20% off click now is the idea that... It's, it's really interesting, actually, because it's something that's come up a lot. When you think of digital advertising, it's supposed to be a, a perfect a, a perfect storm of metrics and concept. When 100% of it is metrics, only metrics, or, or worse, 100% of it is conceptual, and nobody checks to see how it's working. When you've got all the benefits... Is it that we, we've kind of gone too far and we're so obsessed just with the outcome, we don't necessarily look at what might be different or creative or, or special? You know, I never really thought about it that way. I think maybe my impression was that a lot of people that started in digital didn't start in a world of traditional advertising. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't spend 24 hours a day talking to people who thought about concept, mm-hmm. right? They looked at reports. And they looked at click rates and, mm-hmm. and you know conversion rates and all of that. And so I think sometimes working in a digital agency, I'd be like, oh my God, that's an idea. And they'd all look at me like I was crazy because of course the whole room was filled with ideas all along. But you know, that was a campaignable idea. So I in my Twitter feed, my LinkedIn feed, I saw 13 important facets about running a successful advertising campaign by John Ogilvy pop up. And it reminded me that he always said that 80% of the effort should go into the headline because 80% of people only read the headline. And that's where marketing is about the idea. It's about the creative execution. But what you guys have just said is actually, once you start looking at the BI too early, you forget about what the creative idea is and you end up marking what you've done, not actually marking the best that you could have done. It's clickbait. You just explained clickbait. And that's exactly what it is, right? It's, It's we will find the shortest, quickest, possibly nastiest way to put a headline up on Twitter, Facebook, wherever to get people clicking and then call it successful. When actually there's so much more to it than that, and you're not you're not following a concept through. You don't have no. a start bit and an end bit. You simply have a I got shit loads of clicks. Not to promote a cigarette brand, but the ad I remember this most vividly in my mind was it's a British ad, of course, because everything in Britain has a concept, right? But with silk cuts, where they stretch a piece of silk yeah. across a canyon and cut it, and there was no I don't recall if there was even a logo in it, 
but it was so peculiar that it made you stop and look and think, what on earth are they doing? Oh my God, they're cutting silk, silk cuts, right? And people need to have those kinds of really high quality brand experiences in order to remember things now. You know, to an extent, there's less advertising in Britain than there is in the US. I think we see 9,000 ads a day, something like that, yeah. as Americans, and you guys, it's more like 4,000, right? But it's still, you know, it's a lot. ridiculous number of ads, and how many do you remember? Now name an ad from the last five years that you can remember that really got, that really made you start, stop and think. I don't know that I can. I don't know I can either. And we're, and we're obsessed with this stuff. That's exactly right. <laughs> we should know. That's it's exactly crazy, right? right. It's very hard to remember a great ad. Yeah, and you know, I think sometimes people get caught up in, what I remember about the traditional advertising world was that creative teams wanted to spend more and more and more money on the production values. When the beauty of the ad was the concept itself, mm -hmm. right? That I didn't work on this, but the agency I worked for did. There was an ad campaign from Michelob, which is sort of a, it was what America thought of as a premium beer before we had foreign beer come to the US, yeah. right? So it was an Anheuser-Busch product, but it had gold label and all that. And it was declining over the years because here came Heineken and Bass and all these brands. And they came up with the night belongs to Michelob with this very, very simple idea that, that you know, Night, but, Michelob, but there that's it was. The thing, it's a lovely, simple idea of if you enjoy your evening, you'll enjoy, enjoy this. Beer. That connection of, of two experiences revived a brand. And in affiliate marketing now, you've got a couple of plugins to that can go into the master tag of, of, of a win and others that will allow publishers to promote a second brand at the same time quite easily and the concept of pulling two things together is now one of the things that's coming to affiliate marketing to hopefully increase sales and for networks to value to their clients. Well, so few things are great in and of themselves, right? What I like about a concept like that is that the two brands may become something better as a result of being associated with one another. So to me, that's a, it's an interesting, intriguing concept because it's not a brand saying the wonder that is Coca-Cola or the wonder that is Pepsi-Cola, right? It's it's taking another approach. So this actually leads into a, a, a linked question because what Steve is describing is what I used to understand as partner marketing. So the, the mm -hmm. idea of partnership marketing back in the day was that two brands would combine to promote something together. But it seems that affiliate wants to call itself partner marketing, mm. which, okay, to us older people is just confusing and I shouldn't try to keep up sometimes. But is that really the partnership we're talking about? So I don't know if you've come across the various well, networks that are calling them. Right? Partnerize. There you go. So, they, yeah. um, they used to do uh, the, the whole name. I mean, what is your take on, on how the world is moving? trying to change the names of what we do, is that important? Do you think it's all about pushing this into the future? Is there a stigma that's attached to affiliates, so therefore we've got to change the name? There is a stigma, I think. I don't know if this is true in the UK. I suspect it probably is, at least to some extent. This industry started in CPC. The first affiliate program I did was a CPC program, and it was rolling along great until one month we got 15 million clicks from the same IP address in China. We weren't available in China, and so this was something that was happening to all brands, and so the industry was discredited. And what year was that? 1999. So 
yes, before you were born or something. <laughs> yes, I was already a vice president in advertising. You were still an accountant in 1999. I was still an accountant. Incredible. I was at KPMG in 1999. The other thing that discredits it is this insistence that that last click is, I don't want to, you know, I hate talking about last click in anything that's going to get an attribution related. right now. This is early. I love yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it, please. Because, <laughs> you know, so, what, yeah. why do you hate last click so, so much? Last, it's not that I believe even that last click is always wrong. I think in a lot of cases it's right. Uh, years ago, I worked for a research company that did a study that said, okay, let's take a look and discredit the cashback world and the reality was something like 90% of the sales were attributed to cashback if you looked and did multi-touch, multi-channel attribution. This idea that everything has to be black and white is, is an issue or a problem to me, but I think the industry would do better if we relied on a real attribution method as opposed to a way of allocating credit which is what we do now. 24 years later, they still, we still haven't been able to do that. So how would you even start going about introducing a valid and workable attribution model? Well, there are solutions out there that exist, some of which are what they call rules-based attribution, where someone arbitrarily decides it's a third, a third, a third, or something like that. There are other companies that are really trying to figure out algorithmically what the impact of each touch was on a sale. But to move away from last click would make it virtually impossible to run a cashback business. Uh, a cashback site is able to report an untracked sale well, and get they, rewarded if, if it was the last click. Well, if they've been successful in making people come to them first, then they deserve 100% of the credit for that sale. right? Where I have an issue with it is this applying an arbitrary model to something is just simply problematic. We should be determining, algorithmically determining who gets the credit. And in many cases, cashback might get all of the but, credit. But that's a different industry to the affiliate CPA industry. That, In my mind, affiliate is last click. If you have a business that rewards people algorithmically, then that's a different industry. And if a brand wants to use that algorithmic allocation of its marketing spend, of course they should do. But they may not use, in parallel, affiliate marketing, which is last click. So they may not decide to use the channel that gives cashback a reward. And I, I really like the point that you're making, and it's one of the reasons why I like the term partner marketing better than affiliate. Then if affiliate is, by its very definition, last click, it's no wonder to me that CMOs question its value, which is the issue. We, we operate in an industry that is $9 billion in the United States, according to the PMA study that was produced, right? It is a high ROI, if you measure by last click, but it's yeah. a very high ROI, pay per performance industry. Why is it 9 billion? Why isn't it 90 billion, right? It's because people are skeptical of the value that affiliate channel but, actually brings. But don't other channels have similar limitations, so paid search? So paid search has a very simple rule, which is you pay principally Google for someone who clicked on that ad, whether they were at the start of the journey or at the end of the journey, or they clicked on that ad three times in the journey. Well, I think that's why search data is now put through attribution models and based on that, budgets are being set. 
right? So yes, if you use last click as the model, search ends up with 50 or 60% of the money. So then the, the way to moderate the affiliate industry, the last click industry, is to take your knowledge of attribution and say, you know what, this content site that they spend a day writing every article and they compare six TVs and they choose mm -hmm. their links quite carefully, you know, they're a really good site, we're going to give them 10%, but these other sites down here who spread and play a little bit, we're only going to give them 1%. Well, the, the challenge with that to me is then that's not attribution, that's, that's allocating credit. So the issue is it's causation versus correlation, right? It allows you to allocate credit to multiple people. Though. Yeah, but I refuse to accept the idea that we can't figure out what is the contribution of each marketing touch. If, if companies can somehow magically know when I want to buy a Mercedes because of the data that we collect, why can't brands be given the opportunity to allocate the credit for each conversion based on the touches that are in that in that flow sometimes you've got to keep things simple to keep the channel ticking over so you, you can know there's all this complexity behind the scenes you can know what's going on but you can't act on it because it would You'd need to write war and peace as the guidelines for all of your publishers on your program you're, you're doing a very good job of doing an impersonation of why a network won't do it. So the question to Jim is, it is complex, but innovation can overcome these things. Whose responsibility is it? Is it the advertiser? Is it the network? It's sure as hell not the publisher, right? The publisher is a recipient. And to your point about why it's not bigger, think of all the publishers that don't use affiliate marketing. Mm -hmm. That's why it's not bigger. It's not just because it's not brands, but it's all those publishers with all that inventory where they sell it for a fixed amount or a tenancy or a CPM first because they trust in it more. But the, the publisher trusts that they'll get paid, right? I, I guess I have a, a different view of it all. I think the brands ultimately have to drive it. And their agencies, because agencies are supposed to accept a fiduciary responsibility for their clients' money. Do they? That's a whole other podcast, right? But... Brands have to be the ones that are driving these decisions. One of the biggest affiliate programs, the Amazon Associates yes. program obviously, started in probably 99, and its model has morphed dramatically from paying, perhaps in the early days, 7% on every product they sold, but then when every product was a book or a CD, it was quite an easy proposition. Yes. and then. It's gradually become, we won't work with some publishers, we don't want them, we'll pay this amount for sales that are created in one way. So if it's a, a deep link to a specific item, the associates program might pay a higher commission than a link to the homepage. So if you promote a specific TV, you might get 5%, let's say, but if you just promote TVs, you might get 2%. And I'm sure that more recently, so I'm going back about 15 years in describing what I remember the associates program to be. I'm sure more recently they've got more algorithmic methods of rewarding their publishers. So they've taken responsibility for where they see value and where they don't. Non-transparently as well, right? So they are, I'm sure, interpreting Why do you say that. Non-transparently. 
because they're not revealing the value of each touch. They're okay. looking at that as, a, as IP for them. It's helping them make more money. So publishers are here to make more money. Brands are here to make more money. Our agencies, everybody, right? Yeah. Why should they be transparent about their IP? Well, I'm not saying that they should, right? But what I believe is that Amazon has figured out the value of the various touches and is yes. certainly not going to be paying an affiliate more than that value. Yes. Right? We can start with that. Yeah, right? absolutely. So the way that you're making this argument is opening me up to additional, it, it doesn't change my opinion, which is I think we should be focusing on the value of these partnerships. And if we actually understood the value of these partnerships across all uh, uh, conversions or transactions that were happening, I believe that the value of the affiliate industry would be much higher than if we simply take credit for the last click ones. That's my belief. Yes. I, I don't necessarily disagree. There's a company called Odyssey. They've introduced this very clean view of attribution. And it does sit with the brand to then look at, because it's not just affiliate. You can't just attribute affiliate naturally. You have to attribute the entire channel to really see all of it. Yes. So having just an affiliate view is not enough. You've, you've got to have a social view. You've got to search you. You've got to see the interaction between those views. These guys have done a, a very interesting job. But I guess where the question came from before, there's got to be a very aligned view to shift this away. What, talk about cashback, what's, what's cashback? 30, 40% of all affiliate transactions? Mm -hmm. Nobody's gonna move. It, it, naturally, it's much safer to not do anything. In which case, the debate is pointless, essentially, you're saying. I no, think, not at right? all, no, we just have to find the right way to debate. Because otherwise, uh, not, not you and I, we can debate all day long and very friendly. Exactly. But the, the point is that when you've got such a major, major publisher type, generating such a significant amount of revenue. Now, if you add the next one on, it's vouchers or, or coupons. Right, which gets together... 60%? 60 65%. So you've got a huge, huge amount of benefactors of last click. Right. Okay? And, and it, I think the coupon one is less debatable because naturally they're not passing it on. But when you've got a user involved as well, to Steve's point of the cashbacks, how do you deal with that user? I like your... I like your argument, actually, that it's surely then on the publisher, which is what I was asking before, on the publisher to promote the idea that if you come to us and start the journey, you'll get this. If you come to us at the end of the journey, you're not going to get this, you're going to get less. So actually, is it a promotional tool as well then? Well, it's interesting because I guess I'm looking at the industry from the outside and you're looking at it from the inside. I guess is my interpretation here, which is you're saying $9 billion is a lot of money and 70% of $9 billion is a lot of money. I guess what I'm looking at is the entire marketing budget and mm -hmm. saying partner marketing or affiliate marketing is driving a lot more contribution than the 18% that it gets credit for with last click. Yeah, and so that then comes back to the CMO. And yes. I always have this mental image of the media buying schedule. In my head, it's a sheet of A4 that you write who you Flights. want to spend the money with. Yes. Yeah, who you want to spend the money with and what percentage you give to them. And the question is, how do you get affiliate to the top of the media buying schedule? So, um, yeah, so I think that the, the issue here is attribution versus credit. Again, if, if last click is the way that you compensate affiliates, fine. It's easy to calculate. We can trust it. The networks understand it. The publishers are optimized for it. But 
CMOs are not going to put 30 or 40 percent of their budget into partner marketing until they believe that and have data that indicates that that's its marketing contribution. Right so, now, it's a black box. This is actually really interesting because I think I'm trying to keep up here, but I think the revelation in my head is you're not saying that you believe affiliate would be worth less with last click. Last click inside of affiliate is simply who gets the money of the nine billion, exactly. it doesn't matter. You're saying it's worth more than nine billion. Much more. And that it's not recognized because last click doesn't enable that recognition. Exactly, and I think we conflate measurement and credit, which is a uh -huh. problem, right? And last click is no more accurate or inaccurate than any rules-based method of giving credit, meaning a third, a third, a third is not necessarily more accurate than last click or first click or anything else. What we need is data to understand what is the value of this channel so that marketers can adjust their budgets accordingly. Yeah, so Kevin Edwards, who's setting up the UK Affiliate and Performance Marketing Association, he asked, what do you want out of the association? And I said to him, the thing that the channel needs to do is get CMOs to buy into it. So it's understand why CMOs do not get affiliate at the top of the media buying schedule, when, as you say, it's probably the most cost-effective channel. Well, I believe that because I've been in it for 20 years, though, right? I can count on one hand the number of CMOs that I can think of that started in affiliate. Affiliate is not a fast track to the C-suite. It's just not. And, and the reason for that is, in my view, that we conflate credit and attribution. And CMOs continue to believe that without data, I can't trust you with more. So that is affiliate a channel I like to put money into or is it a channel that I put money into because I believe I have to? Right. The only way to get that data for a CMO is to turn it off. So if you didn't have affiliate, you'd actually see the net effect on everything else because suddenly you're not getting that traffic through, they're not picking up on social, they're not going back to Google to search halfway through their journey, right? Now we're not suggesting they should do that, please don't do that. But the point is that naturally you have to get the money from somewhere. So if you're going to use an attribution model into affiliate, where the publisher who was promoting it through the affiliate channel was somehow rewarded for a sale that was attributed to social, where's the money come from? You've got to reduce the budget you put into another channel. You do, and you need to understand the value of that channel in the total process, mm -hmm. right? And that requires real research. Analysis, right? and a lot yeah. of analysis, right? Yeah. And publishers do not want it being turned off to do that. But I do know a UK publisher who's one of their biggest clients, almost every year would say, we've got to test whether you're incremental or not. And they'd say, we're going to turn it off for a month and we'll, we'll see what happens. And they turned it off and after two weeks, it was, we've lost so much, we're turning you back on again immediately. So whilst that business did not like losing two weeks worth of revenue, it made them valuable for 11 and a half months of the year. Well, listen, I think there's ways to do this and I'm not a statistician. But I believe there are statisticians out there that can do this sort of research, right? This sort of analysis. And there are companies that specialize in this. And so by publishing that data, at least by industry or something like that, I think you'd be able to have a CMO say, you know what, I'm comfortable now giving 24% of the budget instead of 18% because it is driving about a quarter of my... So, so this is the big challenge to the two main performance marketing associations, the US and now the UK, is actually 
get the CMOs having the view of affiliate that they want to then get it up to the top of the buying schedule. Yeah, and I would love it if affiliate wins, but suppose affiliate doesn't win, right? I care less about the number that affiliate gets, believe it or not. I care less about that than understanding what the value is of the channel. I am certain, even though I shouldn't be certain because I've not produced data for this, but I am certain that the impact of partnerships is much higher than the 18% or so that the budget allocation is for retail. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm lucky enough, an insurance comparison conference, Chatham House rules, someone's got to be careful about what you repeat from it. But one thing from it that is, is a no Sherlock statement, is that the only winner in paid search is Google, in that all of the, the players will bid up to the maximum they can possibly pay to Google, and Google have a fantastic algorithm for bidding people up to that value. Absolutely. Um, and therefore, paid search is almost by definition not that incremental for that industry. Well, and I think when you work in B2B marketing, as I've done a lot of my life, you begin to see the impact of that, is, which is you, you can't make the sale economic, right? You get a lead, but you're paying so much for that lead you can't make it back. In consumer, I think it's a little different because the prices are lower, but in one of the industries I work in, I think a click is $80, right? So if a conversion rate on a landing page, let's say it's 15%, which it's not, but let's say it is, right? 15%, you know, you do the math, you go backwards. By the time you go through the waterfall, you're gonna be paying thousands and thousands for that sale that may not be covered for four or five years of revenue. And, and that's the car insurance industry in Europe, is people pay 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds per click. Mm -hmm. And there's only one winner, which is Google, because sadly the, the consumer who comes in through a paid search click is going to be using a paid search click the next year. And so the insurance company has got to be price competitive every year to retain that person. That's incredible though. That actually does suggest that, I'm taking it back to Jim's point, it does suggest the use of channels, the multi-channel approach. It puts affiliates in some ways at the bottom of the food mm -hmm. chain. You're literally saying they will turn you off for two to four weeks to prove incrementality. I was joking. The fact that people do it is, is crazy because they wouldn't turn off Google for four weeks to see if there was an impact on incrementality. They'd see there was an impact on traffic and turn it back on within five minutes because that's how they associate the two things. And then they associate at the end, from, from what you're describing, the effectively the customer acquisition cost, and then they're saying, and it'll take me five years to make this money back, but next year, this guy's gonna click again. When actually that next year, the guy should be using an email where they have encouraged a, a retention discount and all those other things. Yeah. So this is whole multi-channel stuff, right? But if affiliate doesn't sit inside the multi-channel consideration, at a, a higher level, where it can still just be turned off to try to identify incrementality. And if it sounds like I'm pretty angry, it is quite frustrating. Well, let me ask you a question about that. In Britain, would you say that affiliate marketers, well, they're often the same as, as other digital channels, right? People often have jobs that are not exclusively to affiliate, or is that? I think there's quite a few advertisers, probably mid-tier, where you would expect them to have a dedicated affiliate-specific, affiliate or, or they go with agencies. There's they, still the agency OPM thing, of course. Yeah. 90% of affiliate revenue spend will be through someone whose job title 
is affiliate this and they're only doing affiliate. And there's companies that have teams of people managing their affiliate programs. And then of course you go up the hierarchy of the e-com department and then you get someone who manages paid search and affiliate and this and that. But I would say 90% or more of revenue is by someone who just does the affiliate channel. So the challenge of that, at least in the US, is that that person is the freak in the corner that they are not part of key brand decisions affiliate has Absolutely. always operated separately partly for measurement reasons frankly because we can't be part of multi-touch multi-channel attribution because the platforms until recently couldn't provide the data that were necessary but then the second part to me is that i think also the industry has put up walls around itself in order to protect what little money we get and that's, yeah. that's a fantastic point. We, we've brought this up in previous podcasts. You're a man that's been around in advertising. We've been around advertising for a very long time. Yeah. I think our combined years is into the centurion, right? Yeah, so we, we understand the whole <laughs> mix of advertising and pre-digital, not just post. And it's actually quite useful because there is still to this day, and you, you've said it so well, this kind of idea they put up walls. Is it really part of the advertising world or have we decided, a bit like SEO, that we're very different and very separate and we can't be treated like that, but as a result, we're treated the worse. It, so uh, it is so a it's a defensive strategy it is a defensive that we strategy. have, right? And the challenge, I think, for the CMO is, I don't know if this is, is true in Britain, although I think it is, excuse me while I keep saying that, but I'm American, you know, we don't realize there's a world outside of our borders. And the CMO in the U.S. is in for 25 months, something like that, 18 months, 28 months. In that time, you can probably do three big things, right? Is, is affiliate marketing or building out your partnership program going to be one of those three things? If you're on a performance brand and you're savvy enough to understand these things, then it might be. But usually it isn't. It's not the sort of thing that gets you notoriety or publicity in this industry. And you know, the celebrity CMO is a component of all of that as well. But in many brands, I feel like the affiliate person has a meeting with the CMO once a quarter. And basically they come in and they sit down and all the channels are in the room and that person's there. And let's say that person's name is Steve, right? So it's like, who in this room besides Steve hit his number? <laughs> right? Because affiliate always hits its number. Okay, and then Steve gets to feel good and he put, puffs out his chest or whatever and is never spoken to again, right? And then they go spend 30% of their time talking about television ads that people don't watch anymore or you know, whatever the, the, the channel du jour is at this moment. You can hear more of Jim's conversation with Steve and Mark on the Memory Cookie, Affiliate Strong ROAS, and the flywheel of success, and how the freak in the corner could become the CMO's hero in the next part of this affiliate pub takeaway. Mm -hmm.